Amen. Well, today we'll pick up in the book of Revelation with the beginning of chapter 3. We're going through these letters to the churches, and this morning we've come to the letter to the church at Sardis. And in a way, this is the most stern letter of all, in a sense, because what Jesus says to the church at Sardis is, people think you're alive, but you're actually dead. It doesn't get much worse than that, to just say, I mean, with the other churches, he would say, well, here's some good, here's some bad, um, you need to make some changes or adjustments. But with Sardis, he just goes, I'm not even telling you what you're doing, you're so dead. You're just, there's little sparks of life there, but for the most part, the way I characterize your life is you're zombies. You're still moving, but there's nothing there that, that is much to be considered as life. And to understand what he means by calling this church dead, we have to understand, biblically, life and death aren't about whether you're breathing or not, whether your heart's still beating. The scriptures talk very descriptively about choices that people make that either make them live life wide awake with an awareness and an alertness and experiencing everything that life experiences, or the option of breathing and walking and moving and talking and being zombies, being dead, missing out on life, going through the motions, having your life look like weekend at Bernie's with the guy that died and they're just dragging him through the party and pretending like he's still alive. That's what the scripture talks about. It's why Jesus said, I came that you would have life and that more abundantly. Those people were already alive. He didn't come and change them from death to life, literally, figuratively, but spiritually they were dead. They were just existing and he said, I came to give you way more of life than what you've been experiencing and what you've been feeling. In fact, you go back to the very beginning, and this was a prominent theme in Genesis with what went wrong with life. Remember when Adam was created back in, in Genesis, it says that God formed his body out of the dust of the ground, and it said, he breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Now you advance to chapter 3. Well, in chapter 2 of Genesis, he told them, look, there's trees. You can eat of any tree that you want. In fact, there's a tree of life. And that, life, that tree will provide you with vitality and energy and everything that you want for your life. But there's also a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that tree, you're going to die that day. Now, Adam and Eve ate of that tree, and they didn't keel over. They continued to breathe. They continued to function, but something was missing. They became ashamed. They began to fake it, cover themselves, hide. They started going through these motions. Right away, they started blaming each other and became divided. They became critical of each other. Then their first two kids, Cain and Abel, got in the first religious fight. We're battling over who got attention from whether or not you did the right sacrifice. Cain ends up killing Abel. And all the rest of history is a story of people who were dead that had an opportunity for life. 
And so when Jesus came, this was the theme that he brought. He talked so much about life. He even said, I am the life. He said, to know me is to be alive. Back in Deuteronomy, and in fact, you can turn over there really quick, Deuteronomy chapter 30, there's an amazing passage of Scripture where at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord expresses to the people, here is the choice that is laid out before you. And what he describes here is the heart of what the problem is with the church in Sardis and what our problem is at times when, when we go flatlined spiritually. Look at verse, uh, starting with verse 11. He says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you. It's not something mystical, nor is it far off. It's, it's not in heaven that you say, oh, who's going to go into heaven and figure this out for us so we can hear it and do it? It's not beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? He goes, this isn't some weird mystery that's very complicated that people need to gain an understanding of. It's not there, but the word, verse 14, is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and you are drawn away and worship other gods, look for other alternatives, serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go to and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land, be at home in the land which the Lord God swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. God tells them right off the bat, before they head into the promised land, he goes, I'm giving you a choice. Now, obviously, they were all technically alive, but he's saying there is a life of blessing, and there is a life of cursing that's more like death than it is life. And he said, here's the deal. You choose what you want. Do you want to live in blessing or do you want to live in cursing? Do you want to live in fellowship with God or do you want to look for other alternatives that you think are going to satisfy you? Choose which way you're going to live. And that is the message that God has given throughout history, that we have this amazing capacity of choice and what is at stake in our choice is finding the life that he can provide or being zombies and going through the motions of life without ever really discovering what real life is all about. And so now as we look at Revelation chapter 3, with that in mind, let's look at what he says to this church in Sardis and to the angel or the pastor of the church in Sardis write, 
These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now we saw in chapter 1 that the, se- the sevenfold spirit of God is a reference most likely to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So he says, I have the Holy Spirit in my hand and I have the seven stars. Those were the seven leaders of these seven churches he's writing to. So he's going, I have the Holy Spirit, I have pastors in my hands. And here's what I'm telling you. I know your works, see what you do, that you have a name, your reputation isn't bad, that you are alive, but really you're dead. You don't even know it. Nobody knows it. Be watchful, that is, wake up, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. In other words, something's missing. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast, hang on, or be alert, repent, change your mind. Therefore, if you will not watch, if you won't wake up, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You're going to be nailed, and you won't know where it came from. Judgment will fall. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, haven't soiled their clothes. And they'll walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he looks at Sardis, this church in this city in Turkey, and he goes, people think you're alive, and you guys think you're alive, but frankly, you're dead. Now, there's a little trace of life there, and he's going to talk about that, but he says, essentially, put a fork in it. You guys have sold out what life is about, and all that you have left is a reputation. All that you have left is hints of past glory. You're like an, a, an aging beauty queen or a football star, where you're still trying to hang on to the past, but the truth is, today, it's just not working for you. Now, Sardis was an interesting city. It was a city that had a reputation of being lazy and overconfident and living in the past. Sardis was a great place initially. There was a lot of intellectual activity that went on there. Um, Aesop, who wrote Aesop's Fables, was from there. They had a beautiful river that ran right next to them. The, the city of Sardis was built on top of a, of a, a big flat plateau that was 1,500 feet above the the ground below, and these sheer cliffs and then walls at the top of the cliffs. And so they had one of the most ideally defensible cities in Asia Minor at the time. But they got cocky about it, and three different times in a few hundred years, the city was conquered. And the way they were conquered, I mean, how do you get up those cliffs Then you have walls to contend with. And if you're trying to go uphill while people are dumping sewage and oil and everything else, rocks on you, that's a tough way to go. You just as soon go conquer Thyatira. But, you know, what happened three different times they were conquered in their history, and every time it was basically the same thing. Well, the first time what happened is 
an army was looking at them and going, how in the world are we going to do that? And at that point, one of the soldiers up on the wall dropped his helmet, and it went bouncing down the hill. And there was a secret little path that uh, the soldier just walks down this path, and he gets his helmet, and he walks back up. So the army sees it. So that night, they took that same trail, and boom, they're at the wall. They're ready to fight. But there's no soldiers on the wall. They were so certain that they were okay with the cliff that they didn't guard the walls and they were conquered. Happened three times in their history. Amazing. Just, just foolish, ultimately. They were the type of people that were so confident they never finished anything. Even they had one of the greatest temples to Diana or Artemis that there was, similar to the one that's there in Ephesus. And the remains are still there, but the one thing they discovered is they never actually got around to finishing the temple. Even their idolatry, they couldn't finish what they started. They were flaky. They were irresponsible. They lost their capacity to, to, to keep going. And so the city was known for that. That's one reason why Jesus says, I have a few people even there in Sardis, even a place of flaky dead people, I have a few that still have sparks of life. But he's addressing them and saying, don't think that you're alive just because you're breathing. There's more to life than what you are experiencing. There's more to what God has for you than, these, you know, than your mere existence. And let's face it. Don't we too go through those times when we're just getting by Don't we often live in a place where I'm just trying to exist from one day to the next? I mean, depression isn't something that I've had huge problems with in my life, but after I had surgery on my neck, there was a period of time when every day, I mean, I I missed one Sunday to get major surgery, and then I was back up here, I couldn't bend over hardly, I couldn't see my Bible, but I was like, I just love being here and teaching. But every day felt like when I wake up, I got out of bed in the morning and I thought, I just did this. This is just like, it was Groundhog's Day. It was just going through the motions and I didn't even, I wasn't noticing what was going on. All I was doing is I got to get my message ready for Wednesday. I got to get my message ready for Sunday. I have to get up. I have to go to bed. I have to try to keep up on my favorite TV shows. And I'm just like, just going through the motions. Some people live that way for years and years where their life is a hollow shell of what life could be. And that happens to all of us in seasons. You know, life is something, the Bible uses life as a metaphor for vitality and energy a lot. And, and, you know, Jesus used the image of a, of a vine and branches. And so he talked about that. I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, a, a plant or a tree is interesting. It goes through seasons generally. There's a time of year when it kind of lays there dormant. There's a time of year when it's blossoming and blooming. And so we all go through times in our lives when it's kind of dry but how do you know that life is going to return when spring comes? That's the ultimate question for us as far as our life. And most people get so used to being dead, they're pretty comfortable there. Because the one thing that being a zombie does is 
nothing really shakes you up too much. You anesthetize yourself to all the potential pain that's around. You, you, you don't ever get really disappointed because you don't expect anything. And you're just like going through the motions. Ho-hum, go to work, come home, have a weekend, go to work, come home. And, and it's an easy way to live in a way. As long as no one tells you, you know what, it's not supposed to be that way. I hate to mention to you, but you've been dead for a while. You're in the process of dying. Bob Dylan has a song where he says, he not busy being born is busy dying. And we choose sometimes to just go, I'm just going to start dying. Howard Hendricks talks about this and he says, you know, the day, somebody asked him about how do you know when you're getting old? And he said, he said, the day when your memories are more exciting than your dreams, you've started to die. But the choose life or death is something that we can choose. We can have a life of excitement and vitality in Jesus Christ, or we can choose to just live out our days, try to survive, and hope that our money outlasts us, and just go, yeah, this is okay, this is all right. I'm, uh, you know, I think I'm mature now, because I don't care about anything. That's what spirit, you know, that's what historically an awful lot of people have believed that spiritual maturity looks like deadness. But that's not it at all. Jesus says, you need to become like a child to enter the kingdom of God. Hang around children and you will see vitality. Hang around children, you'll see how we were designed to function. Children just notice things. They're happy. When they're sad, they're really sad. When they're happy, they're really happy. They're, it's amazing. You can look at a baby and smile at them and it makes them smile. I mean, they're just so keyed into the environment. They so notice what's going on. And we can sit here and sing a song about loving Jesus and we're just like, oh, Jesus, I love you. <laughs> and he's going, would you wake up? You're dead. That was dead. Now, the, some of the signs of death are really noticeable too. Over in Genesis, again, when they, he said, the day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. So then, boom, they're criticizing each other. They're doing things against each other. They're mad at each other. The, for the rest of history, people are trying to destroy each other and be miserable. Make ourselves feel better by criticizing others. That's what a dead church looks like too, by the way. Instead of people coming and going, oh, we get to worship God. Finally, there's a place where just about everybody here believes the way I do. And I've spent my life this week in a world where I've been kind of a lone ranger. But here I'm with my brothers and sisters and we get to worship God. And instead, we come together and we go, not that song again. I don't even know. I don't like songs where I have to read the words to, to worship God. I want old school, you know, whatever happened to those old songs. And then somebody else is like, this song is like, it's like 2001, you know, it's like, what, come on, what, get that. there's some new songs that are better. And then other people are like, that's so loud. I can't, why do they have drums? Other people are like, why do they have electric drums? Man, I want acoustic drums. I like to actually feel it in my chest when I'm getting my drum on, you know. And it, 
And so we all become critics and we could be worshiping God. And instead, I mean, and some of you are going, you're listening to this message and you're going, okay, we get it. Life, dead. Okay, get to the, get to the good part. Let's, can we finish these verses so I can get out of here? That's what dead people do. It started in the Garden of Eden, and it continues to today. And there's something really threatening to us. Whenever something gets our full attention and calls us to wake up, we go, please, just leave me alone. I just want to rest. Some of us feel like, you know, I can't wait till heaven because I'm going to sleep for the first thousand years. I'm just going to kick back under a tree, and I'm going to... It's like, really? Is that what you think life is supposed to be? Is that what you think you're, you're made to do? Is that what your existence is, just to zone out? How much time do we spend? And I think there's no time when we're more dead than when we just sit in front of a TV set and let some fake life become our life. Oh, what's going to happen to those people? I, it's funny, I, I know people who, who love TV shows so much that they actually pray for the characters on the show. <laughs> Seriously. Because that's my life. That's my life. If I get sick, man, I want Dr. House to come and figure out what's wrong with me. In fact, I don't listen to my real doctor because... I know what Gregory House would say, and it's this, and I'd rather, you know, and like, oh, who are you cheering for for American Idol? Who's the idol that's next? And, and you know, we just sit there glued to the screen, and, and often you could be sitting there, remotes in your hand, and you T-vote it so you don't have to watch commercials, but you find, I just watched like five commercials I didn't even notice. I don't know what they're advertising. Hey, what are you watching? I don't know. I'll have to wait till the commercial's over so I can even tell you what I'm watching. Well, that's so emblematic of the way that we often live our lives. And that was these people in Sardis. They had given up on enthusiasm. In, and that word means in God. They had given up with that connection of vitality and they settled for being zombies. They settled for being just walking dead people, going through life, going through the motions. That's not what God wants to do to us. When he says he came to give us life, he's not just saying, don't worry. I'm going to leave you in your boring life, and I'm going to let you be bored for all of eternity. Sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, da da no, he's going, man, I want, to make, I want to wake you up. I want to give you real life. The people in Sardis didn't get that. Many of us, many days, honestly, I don't get this. I just want to get through the day. I just look at what has to be done, and I hope I get most of it done so people will leave me alone. You know? And it's so easy to fall into that trap. And to miss the beauty that's around us, to miss opportunities that we have, to miss having a, a passionate, vital relationship with God. And so he says to them, you know, you guys, people think you're alive, but the truth is you're really dead. You're bored. So he says, first of all, be watchful. That word means wake up. It's like Jesus is going slapping us. Sorry if I woke you up. And 
And he goes, would you wake up? There are opportunities, there's life, there's beauty, there's so much going on. Wake up, be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For there's something missing in what you do. This is key. Because if he's talking to you, there's something, there's still embers that are burning. There's still something deep inside of you. I don't care if you've ever felt life for the last 20 years. He's speaking to that little piece of you that goes, I know there's more than this. I know that I'm going through the motions. There's something here that I'm missing. And he's saying, strengthen the things that remain. Now, in the metaphor of the plant, often you let a plant grow too much and it gets all these branches. And at first it looks really cool, but eventually there are branches that become unfruitful and unproductive and you need to prune the bush because dead branches that are still connected will suck the nutrients and the life that the healthy part of the plant actually needs. And so life always involves losing some things because if you won't let go of some things, you will be destroyed by all of those things. You will drown in your activity, in your possessions, in your attempts at you know, trying to do everything and please everyone. What you have to do is find the center of health and vitality and go with that. Find what actually still has hope and strengthen that. You always want to look at, you know, we're often tempted to just spend our lives looking at our weaknesses and trying to fix them. That never works really well. What we need to do is find those strengths and then eliminate everything that doesn't fit with enhancing that which is still alive. If there's a fire that's burning out and there's just a couple of red hot coals in the middle, you don't fan the outside of the fire because those are the deadest logs. You can blow on them all day long and nothing's going to happen. But if you blow on those hot embers, often the entire fire will become lit again. Just like with a plant, you cut it back and often it will flower and blossom and bloom. So what he is saying is, find that place that's still alive in you and go with that. In the home fellowship questions, the first question that we asked this week is, when was a time in your life when you felt most alive? And then what was it that made it that way? And, and there's a time, and he talks about here in a moment, remember. But the idea is, that will show you where your potential is. That shows you where you start. Now understand this, that will mean letting go of some other things. Often, you will find that there are things that you do that make you feel dead. Your life has become cluttered and crowded with things that suck the life out of you. And frankly, sometimes those things are actually people. There are people who suck the life out of you. You can, you know, it, it's amazing. There are some people who, when you see them, you just feel alive and alert. And it's a great feeling if you've ever had it when somebody sees you and they light up. That's the effect that we want to have on people. But there are some people that just drain us. 
And strengthening the things that remain means limiting the capacity that other people have to kill whatever life is left within us. Sometimes it may mean letting go of a relationship, letting go of friendships, letting go of activities or possessions or something that's sucking the life out of us because I want to spend my energy on those things that can still, as they're, as they're smoldering, I know that I can fan that flame back. I, I want to do things that make me feel alive, that make me feel closer to God, that make me feel an intimacy with Him. And so whatever those things are, the principle is go with what's working, go with what's strong, and bring the flame back there, wherever it was. So again, he says, strengthen the things that remain. You may look at your, what you spend your money on or what takes up space in your house or what fills your schedule, whatever it is. There are times when what you need to do is eliminate the clutter so that you can strengthen that which still has potential for life. It's like when there's a catastrophe and there are a bunch of people who are injured and they triage because they, you know, there are some people who look like they're going to be okay. There are some people who don't have a chance of survival. You don't spend all your time on the person who's the sickest because they may not have a potential for survival, but you can make a life and death difference in someone who needs a little attention. And so it's this triage effect with your life that's important to do if we're going to strengthen what remains. The idea is to save life where we find it, not to just try to do everything, which, which never works. But he goes on and he says, they're ready to die. There's something that's missing. And then look at verse 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast or guard that and repent. Change the way you think. He says, go back. Again, you don't ever want to live in the past, but you certainly want time to reflect, when was the time when I felt alive? When was the time when I felt closest to God? What was going on? What are the things that make me feel alive that I now neglect? As I look at my life, there are some people that just being with them makes me feel alive. There are other people being with them makes me feel like I want to die. <laughs> there, there are things that I do that feel like a complete waste. There are things that I do that give me passion and excitement. I, riding my motorcycle down the coast, I don't do it nearly a lot, enough. I, I feel totally alive. And I have no problem if someday, I know that it increases the odds of my death, but I have no problem, I would, I would rather experience life than to hide myself and just be dead and pretending to be alive. Walking on the beach and spending time with the Lord, when my life isn't going as well as it could, when I'm starting to feel like a zombie, I can, I can almost know that I haven't been down at Montage or Salt Creek or Huntington or somewhere for a few days or a week or two weeks because that's a place where, man, it's just me and the Lord. I, I, I feel a vitality. I feel an energy. I, it, there's an excitement about what's going on. Sharing with people who don't know the Lord gives me that excitement too. There are a lot of things, but he goes, Remember back when you felt like you were alive? What was going on? What was happening there? 
In, in what way was life being allowed to be breathed into you? And remember, he is saying, ultimately, I have the Holy Spirit. And so ultimately, where this is headed, where we, that we have to face is the Holy Spirit's role is to wake us up and make us alive and cause us to notice and cause us to feel and experience and everything. It's, that's what he wants. So when was the time when you felt closest to God? When was the time that you felt most alive? And he says, remember that. And, and also, hang on to that and repent. Repent means literally change the way you're thinking. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're still going to be dead. Oh, you'll live out a long, sad, tragic life. But but you won't have the, the, the uh, sense of being awake and alert and, and empowered and passionate that he created you to feel. So if you like feeling dead, okay, great. Try to set some kind of record. You know, today this person died. They've been dead for 103 years, and they're finally through being dead. <laughs> really? I mean, if, that's what, if you want your name in the paper, if you, if you really want the morning show to celebrate how long you've had a meaningless life, great. Great for you. Congratulations. But God has something better for you. He wants to give you that excitement and love of life, that enthusiasm about life. And so he says, you're going to have to think differently if that's going to happen. Otherwise, if you won't wake up, I'm going to hit you like a thief in the night. You're going to get nailed and you won't know what hit you because you're just thinking, well, I'm all right like this. I'm afraid if I take a chance or I'm afraid if I spend money on that or if I give that away, I may need it someday. Or if I talk to that person, it may be too much of a risk. I'm afraid to try to make friends. I'm too shy or whatever. He goes, someday it's going to hit you like a train. That's what's going to happen. I'll come upon you. But then he says, even in Sardis, there's a few names that haven't defiled their garments. They haven't soiled their opportunity. They haven't taken what I've given them and just squandered it. And he said, they're going to walk in white with me. The word there, walk, peripateo, means they're going to walk around with me. They're going to hang out with me in life. And he says, the one who overcomes, you know, they're worthy. The one who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. If you have an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says, there are some people who are able to go through life where most people are dead, and they wake up, and they live their life, and they don't allow their white garments to be spotted. They don't allow them to be tainted. They don't put a big stain on their life by looking for other ways to find satisfaction when it's the Spirit of God who's just gone, man, wake up and stick with me. I can, I can give you an abundant life. I can bless you in ways you never imagined. I can bring more excitement and vitality and passion into your life than you've ever seen. And he goes, he goes that's what I'm offering you. It's a choice that you have to make, but to reject that you're just going to make your life dirty and you're not going to fit in with what, 
what I have for you, with the beauty that is possible, the, the life energy that I want to give. We're all at danger of that. And he's saying, but if you hang in there, and if you walk in an intimacy with me, allow me to fill me with your spirit. You walk in closeness and excitement and energy, and your eyes are wide open as you live your life. He goes, I'm going to clothe you in white, and your name will not be blotted out of the book of life. The book of life is an interesting book. We don't have a bunch of time to go into what that means. It's used a lot of times in Scripture and several times here in Revelation. Um, And there are people who are really threatened by the idea of blotting someone's name out of the book of life. The book of life is the list of people who end up being with Jesus in heaven. But it's interesting that he calls it the book of life. Because there are a lot of people who are technically alive, and yet they've never made that connection with God through his spirit. But there's a book that, that describes what we have in intimacy with God. This is life. Before, he says, you have a reputation of life, but you're actually dead. And at the end of the letter, he goes, you can be in the book of life. Your name can be there, and I won't wipe it out. Now, people argue about what does it mean to blot someone's name out of the book of life? Can you be saved and then lost? Um, And everyone who explains this away, I'm uncomfortable with. John MacArthur, in his commentary on Revelation, is great, but he goes into great detail to explain why there is no such thing as being blotted out of the book of life. But I'm having a hard time with that because Why do you tell somebody, oh, you're so blessed, your name's not going to be blotted out of the book of life, if it's impossible? So I don't know. You know what I want to do? I want to live life to the fullest, filled with the Spirit, walking with God, looking for every opportunity, because I want in the end to know that I didn't blow this. I didn't squander this opportunity. I didn't waste my life. And And then I can, with full assurance, without a doubt, I can go, you know what, I know my name is in the book of life because I know what he did to my life. I know how my life changed because of being in a relationship with him. I I tried to be an example of what life looks like. I I wanted to have that. I, I didn't want to be a walking dead person. And so here this promise is to those who overcome. And the promise is to all of us who choose life. Again, as, as the Lord said back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you can do life and blessing, or you can do death and cursing. What do you want? And the question is out there for all of us. What do you choose to do with the opportunity that God gives you? Will you settle for being a walking zombie and make the church that kind of place as a result, a church that has potential but starts things and doesn't finish them? Or do we live life in such a way that people notice that we are getting, you know, grab all the gusto is an old beer commercial from back when I was a kid. I have never yet had beer really give me gusto, anything that I would describe as gusto. The best thing beer can do is to make you think you have gusto, and, and often that's what people's religiosity does. They come and get pumped up and, and think, there, I've got gusto. Gusto is real life. Gusto is waking up. 
It's the reality of a relationship with God. It's not playing games with him. It's not pretending something with him. It's life, real life. And so that's what Jesus offers to Sardis. And that's what he offers us. And if we don't want to be a dead church that just becomes a shell of what it could have been, then it means each one of us needs to go and allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives and, and to say, I want to strengthen what remains. I want to eliminate things that are sucking the life out of me. I want to go with that which makes me most enthusiastic, most vibrant, most in love with Jesus, most filled with the Spirit, and I want to live that life. And man, if very many people find that sweet spot, all of a sudden, the church catches fire. And life, that kind of life is contagious. That's what Jesus wants for us. Now, if you're here today and you've never, ever felt truly alive, chances are you've just never met Jesus. Maybe you've been to church all your life, maybe you prayed a prayer, been through the motions, read your Bible, but it never really caught on. Something is missing. Like the church at Sardis, Jesus would look at you and go, you know what, you're doing stuff, but you're fooling yourself. And maybe you've never actually given him an opportunity to start fresh with you. And, and it's sad because so many people have been dead for so long that they're afraid to admit they're dead. They're afraid to ask for life, to go to that place. And if that's you, I'm telling you, today can be a day when you choose life when you choose to give your life to Jesus Christ. And he will give it back in an amazing way. You'll feel like you just woke up. If that's the case, after the service, as we sing the last song, come on down here. There'll be people down here who would love to pray with you. And, and they just tell them, you know what? I need resuscitation. I need life. I'm on life support, and I want an abundant life. And if, if that's you, come down and pray. If you're not sure... Come down and pray and give God permission to, to breathe that life into your veins. Breathe life into your veins. Bring, breathe life into your lungs and get your blood flowing and start with that gift of life that God has. For many of us, we know what that means, but we have to remember way back to find a time when we used to be awake, to find a time when we were really alert and focused and excited and taking risks, but somehow now we're just going through the motions. We're, we're doing, we're like, um, there's a song by John Resnick, a beautiful song called Iris, that talks about somebody who, who just feels like, when everything feels like the movies, he says, you bleed just to know you're alive. He, and, and that's the way some people are living, and, and God wants to say, you don't have to do it that way. And the, the song goes on to say, I don't want the world to see me because I don't think they'll understand. And when everything is made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. And God knows who you are. And that passion that you have that goes, I need something more, go spend time with him. Find that place where you can just get alone with him. Wherever you do that best, it will be worth whatever a day off costs you to go, God, I, I'm missing life. I'm Bernie. I'm Bernie at church. And I'm just going through this, and I don't want to live that way. Find that place of life 
and exuberance and vitality and enthusiasm as you get back in touch with him. That's what he wants for us. That's what Jesus said to Sardis, and that's what he says to Pacific Hills and anybody else. When we start looking and feeling numb, he goes, man, wake up, wake up. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. And we receive this, and we we want to respond to your wake-up call. For the people who have never received you, I pray that today would be the day when they start over, when they discover life in its fullness. For those who just can't remember what that felt like, God, please give them a time this week when they can go get resuscitated by you. Thank you for the pruning that you do in our lives to eliminate things that are holding us back. Lord, help us to fan that flame. Help us to go with strengthening things that remain to live that vibrant life that you've called us to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.